Welcome to Market Scales, The Trust Revolution, How Trust Unlocks the Future. Hosted by the CEO of White Fox Defense, a global leader in drone airspace security, here's technology entrepreneur, Luke Fox. Hello and welcome to The Trust Revolution. Joining us today is retired U.S. Navy Captain George Dom, former commanding officer and flight leader of the world-famous Blue Angels. Captain Dom has over 30 years of executive leadership experience in high-performance organizations. From flying dangerous combat missions around the world from the decks of aircraft carriers, to the training of other pilots at the Navy Fighter Weapons School, which you might know from the movie with the same name, Top Gun. Dom has taken what he has learned into the corporate world as the COO at ACI Jet and as the founder of the High Trust Leadership Network. George, it's so great to have you join us. A pleasure to be with you, Luke. So, George, I, I'm just curious. You know, you have really built this entire career and legacy around the concept of trust. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey and why trust has really become so paramount in in your career now and in the experiences you've had? Sure. Well, growing up, uh, you know, I I played in team sports and so forth, and uh, certainly you begin to learn the uh, what's important for a team to work effectively together. And I guess that's where I first started understanding a little bit about trust. And then in my Navy career, uh, when you're flying off of aircraft carriers uh, a thousand miles from land and you're part of a, a team of literally 5,000 people on the ship and so forth, um, that is sort of a graduate education in uh, trust, leadership, and teamwork. And so after I left active duty, people were fascinated with how did we organize, train, and execute in the military. And so as I was invited to speak to various organizations and corporations and so forth, I started to think about what what was the true essence that allowed us to be successful in a really unforgiving environment in training and combat. And when I distilled it down to one big idea, one thing uh, that with it, anything was possible, and without it, we were going to be at best uh, mediocre. And that was the sense of uh, building and sustaining a high level of trust. I see. And just to put a real, just like a, a real exclamation point on what that really meant is you were flying, correct me if I'm wrong, you're flying just a couple feet apart at 500 miles per hour. Is that right? flying uh, upwards and doing all these air acrobatics and like, can you just paint that picture for us? Like, what does it mean? Like, what was the proof that trust really worked for you? Right. Well, I think uh, for, so for two years during my Navy career, I had the extraordinary privilege, as you mentioned, to be the commanding officer and flight leader of the Blue Angels. And for your listeners to try to give them a little bit of a sense of what that's like when you're flying a high-speed, low-altitude uh, jet formation flying. Imagine that you're driving down the highway and your objective is to keep your car uh, within 10 feet of the car that's uh, next to you, right? And you're going up hills and down hills. And as you watch the other car and it goes up the hill, you have to add, uh, accelerate to stay in position and so forth. And 
frankly, for many of us, we do that every day uh, on the highways and freeways. But imagine then if I said, now your job is to stay within two feet of the car next to you. You need to align your rearview mirror with the other car uh, two feet away. And then imagine that out of their peripheral vision, you see that there's another car on the other side of the person that you're following. And if you could look around, you'd see that there was one three better behind you. And now you realize, take that and t two feet apart and accelerate it to 200, 300, 400 miles an hour, take it up in the sky and do three-dimensional aerobatics six days a week for 11 and a half uh, months of the year under all different conditions of wind and um, turbulence and terrain with ridge lines and buildings and all of that. And that's a day at the office uh, for the Blue Angels. So, so you know, trust wasn't something that was just sort of nice to have. It, it was a strategic imperative, and I believe it's the same for every high-performance team. You know, we we recruited for trustworthiness. Uh, we trained to build it every day. If you had it, you got rewarded and promoted. And if you lost it, you were gone very quickly because we just could not operate as a team in those types of environments without having to, to be able to truly depend and trust each other. And so we talk about trust so colloquially. And, you know, I, I trust my mom. I trust my friend. I don't trust Joe. What, what do you, when you say trust, is that is that what you mean? Just like you either have it or you don't, or is there is there more to it? Like what how, what what does trust really mean to you? Yeah, so I I think you know trust means as you just said a lot of things to different people. Fundamentally, in my mind, it's a willingness to be vulnerable, hmm. that you're willing to be vulnerable with your the success of whatever you're working on, with your finances, uh, with your feelings. I mean, it, it involves a lot. And, and with your and life, trust isn't in your case, with right? your with life, the blue angels. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And uh, it's not binary. Uh, I believe it's, it's a continuum. And you are at different places on that trust continuum, depending upon who you're interacting with. And that's why trust is so hard to necessarily get your hands on, because some people trust you now, but they don't trust you later. Some people, you know, some people trust you and others don't. And so, um, unfortunately, uh, we tend to judge our our own trustworthiness by the people who trust us the most. So, you know, Bob trusts me, therefore I must be trustworthy. But Mary doesn't trust me. Uh, I rationalize that Mary must have trust issues. It's her fault. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, but it is something that I believe that we uh, is very proactive. You if you can learn to build it, and if you pay attention to it, uh, you can achieve great things. So, where have you seen? I'm sure, just in your your vast career and experience, that you've seen instances where someone is flying. Uh, excuse me, is doing something where they they aren't creating trust, where their trust is broken. How have you seen that repaired, whether it's a betrayal or it's just, you know, how people are interacting together? What Can you dive into that a little bit? Yeah, you bet. And, and you know, when, when trust is broken, whenever you extend the gift of trust to somebody and then they uh, betray that trust, wow, it's, it's, it's a 
it's a very powerful negative feeling. And, and, uh, you know, I think, uh, Stephen Covey has it right when he says that, you know, you can't talk your way out of something that you acted your way in. And so you can't just, it's not just the words you say, although they are necessary as well in terms of communicating that you accept responsibility for whatever you did, but then it's your actions that people are paying attention to and you have to act in a way. And frankly, it just takes time. And at the end of the day, you don't get the vote. The other person gets to decide whether you are trustworthy or not. So do you think that context plays into that? Like, you know, if Bob trusts you, Mary doesn't trust you, is that something that's uh, that's always on the person? That's, you know, that's, or should we strive to be that trustworthy person? Or is it that we focus on creating trust with just very specific people? Well, I think we should all live in a way that to the best of our ability, we uh, build uh, a high level of trustworthiness as best we can. And unfortunately, because, you know, as you just described, people all come from different experiences and so forth. And you know, if somebody has had a a terrible experience in the past and they relate to you in a similar manner, then they may not be able to overcome that. But that's something that we as leaders and teammates, uh, it, it's sort of our, our duty and obligation to try to strive to be as trustworthy as possible. Hmm. And so what I'm, what I'm hearing you say is that trustworthiness leads to trust. And trust leads to an effective leader and ability and execution. Is am I am I missing anything in that chain? Well, I absolutely believe that trust is the foundation for all teams and organizations. Um, I heard you mention in a previous podcast about uh, you know reading Patrick Lencioni's book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, and in that book. Lencioni identifies the most fundamental reason why teams don't work together is because of it's an absence of trust. And without a level, of, a high level of trust, then there's a fear of honest communication. You know, there's that 800 pound gorilla in the room that nobody wants to talk about. And therefore, you never get to the important decisions and nobody knows what do we really stand for? What are our priorities and, and so forth? And therefore, um, there's a, a lack of commitment and ultimately um, an inattention to uh, the team's results. Everybody's worried about themselves. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting how you put that, that the team is really uh, not a team. They're looking at themselves as individuals when trust isn't there. But when trust is there, it's this bonding of a team. It's being vulnerable and exposing ourselves as individuals to create that team, kind of melt to melt together. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, Google did a study of trying to identify what were the characteristics of their most effective teams. And they studied this for, you know, something like four to five years. And what they found was that, you know, there's teams and leaders that operate in a variety of methods, in a variety of styles and so forth. But the one thing that their, all their most effective teams had in common was that they were able to develop uh, a culture of what they called psychological safety. And that's what I believe is the same as you know, when you have a high trust culture. 
Um, when I ask people, you know, how do you feel when you're in a relationship or in a team where there's a high level of trust? What does that feel like? And invariably, the number one thing they say is, I felt safe. Not, not safe in terms of, um, you know, uh, being a tenured professor or, uh, you know, a made man in the media that you, you know, no, they, they felt safe to be themselves to be their real self and, and not have to come to work and play a role. They could be bring their best ideas, their concerns, their goals, and so forth, and be, be very transparent with their teammates. And it's that transparency and authenticity that drives really high levels of uh, creativity uh, and so forth. Um, the other thing that is a wonderful byproduct of trust, and, you know, we all realize that if you in a trusting relationship, you know, you can be very agile. There's a lot of, um, a, tr a high trust team is very productive. It moves very quickly and it's very adaptive. The other thing that people don't think about is a high trust team has a high level of resiliency. A high trust team can really take a punch and come together. And oftentimes coming out of that crisis, uh, they're actually a stronger team, but a low trust team takes a punch. Everybody covers up and worries about, you know, what does this mean to me? And they look out for themselves. It's very brittle. And oftentimes, uh, you know, a low trust team can't recover from a, a serious uh, challenge or, or crisis. Yeah, I, I get this, the visual just and how I think, how I'm thinking about that as you described, that is that uh, that trust creates that vulnerability and the team melts together as kind of individuals and it creates like a kind of a Play-Doh that can take a shock. But when, uh, but when that shot comes to a low trust team, each each person is so individual; it's kind of just, just scattered. Yeah, they they don't feel safe. Uh, if if uh, you know so and so is not looking out for me, I got to look out for myself. And so there's a high level of defensiveness uh, in a low trust environment. So I'm I'm curious here uh, when we look at. Uh, being you talk about being transparent about being your real self showing up with who as you are uh, and that uh, and you have to have trust and a high trust team in order to feel comfortable doing that and by doing that you reinforce the trust I assume you agree with all that so far is that, is that right yes okay so yep, when sure when, you, when you do that is there a uh, by being vulnerable would you say that there you create a risk of uh, of being too on, too real and you show up and you're like I am having a bad day and that can make people then start to question do I do I really trust this guy is he reliable or gal because uh, you know they are human like is there is like is that a double-edged sword or how do you balance the fact that we all are human don't people want to know that we're kind of reliable right well you know it's interesting um, when I was flying with the Blue Angels uh, I I uh, had to be more honest and transparent with my teammates uh, than than I ever had to be before, just because um, we had to get to a much higher level of trust in flying that close together uh, day in and day out. Um, and and what I found was that well, what type of know, honesty? Long, what do you mean by that? Like well, how I mean you know, honesty is. Well, I, I describe it as, um, you know, if I showed up one day for a pre-flight briefing and I said to the 
to my wingman, I said, look, I didn't get a lot of sleep last night because I was concerned about this and that and the other thing. But I want you to know that I'm aware of it. And I feel like, you know, I am ready to uh, operate here. I can compartmentalize and I'm ready to go. Um, it, and then they would join up and go fly. But but if I didn't share that with them and then something happened and we uh, scared ourselves a little bit and then I came back and said, yeah, you know, uh, I just didn't get much sleep last night. Boom. They would have been over the table at me. So mm. it it's something that, uh, you know, they need to understand what's going on. And, and you as the leader have to be willing to be a little vulnerable in sharing your concerns and questions. You, you, you don't need to be John Wayne and, uh, you know, the tough guy all the time because uh, they see that. They see through that. Uh, and so you might as well get credit for being uh, honest and uh, straightforward. <laughs> um, but when, when I talk to people, though, I, I tell them that while being honest, you know, uh, at a very high level was something that was necessary, um, it was really more than that. Um, what we really needed was candor. And I and I um, I differentiate the two in that, you know, Luke, you're a, you're an honest guy. And I if I ask you a question, I know that you're going to tell me the truth as you understand it. But when you're moving at 500 miles an hour, um, if I have to wait and ask Literally. for the truth, <laughs> it's too late. Yeah, it's too late, right? So, and many of these companies and organizations are moving so fast that they really need a spirit of candor. And that is, I need you to tell me the truth when I need to hear it, whether I ask for it or not. And, and that's really a key component of you know, having a high trust culture. And so, you know, I depended on my wingmen and the other members of the squadron that uh, they needed to speak the truth to me whenever I needed to hear it. And then I needed to take action uh, based on that. Wow. So in both ways, being proactive in your communication, uh, both in sharing ahead of time so that uh, the people can react accordingly and you can develop that trust but also and that, that bond between the team, but also communicating uh, ahead of time before people even ask the question, right? Having that candor, as you say, that uh, makes a lot of sense. But first, you have to be honest with yourself. You have to be able to self-actualize and know, hey, I'm not operating at my complete peak, but I believe that I can seriously do this. What is, how do you become honest with yourself? Like, how do you break through uh, those barriers of wanting to admit that we're not John Wayne? even to ourselves. Right. Right. What, what's your well, advice there? You know, you have to suppress the ego a bit, right? And you have to recognize that it, it, you can't improve if you can't admit the truth first to yourself uh, and then, you know, potentially share it with others. Um, when I first got to the Blue Angels, I had lots more flight time as the leader than my wingman did, but I didn't have any Blue Angel flight time. So, so I, as the leader, came in and I had to learn how to fly in this unique way, very, um, very close together. And literally, um, I had to, before I moved either of the controls in my jet, the stick or the throttles or anything, 
I had to give a command of preparation and a command of execution to my wingmen so that we would all maneuver together. They would all go on my calls and I would give this sort of sing song on the radios so that we would all uh, fly together. Um, and so it was really hard. And uh, after about a week of training, I remember that, uh, you know, my wingmen were giving me feedback on my performance. And at one point I said, you know, come on, you guys, don't you know, I, I'm trying as hard as I can here. And they said, thankfully, I'll, and we, we are such great friends even today, 23 some years later, um, they were always very professional, but they never shied away from holding up the mirror to me so that I could have a better understanding of my performance. And they said, Roger that, boss. We know you're trying as hard as you can, but we don't grade on effort. We grade on performance. And in these five maneuvers, frankly, you suck. You've got to stop waggling your wings and you got to start you know, being more consistent here and there and so forth. And that was a turning point for me because I came to realize that they weren't giving me this feedback to make themselves look better or to make me look bad or whatever. They were bringing me this gift of feedback so that we could get better and the team could never be any better than the leader. Um, and so I had to understand that. And when I did, it, it was a mindset shift for me uh, where I, you know, bring it on. I want to hear everything you have to say so that I can get better so that we can get better uh, as a team. Now, again, we're all human and fatigue and, you know, stuff. occasionally I would lapse back into the old uh, defensive mindset. And I had to rem continue to remind myself, you know, that, hey, this is and, and they were wonderful folks. And uh, we had a great time together. But uh being honest with yourself uh, is step number one. Hmm. And and really managing your own ego there, uh, because we all have it. And it's all it's so tempting to go into that reflexive place of safety within ourselves and be defensive. I'm I'm curious when how does how does a leader uh, really elicit that feedback? You were fortunate enough to have uh, people around you who gave you that feedback. Uh, sometimes maybe whether you wanted it or not, but in especially in professional situations, it's it. I've frequently heard from fellow leaders that they find it really difficult to get people to be honest with them um, about themselves or even about the organization. How do you how do you drive that uh, or you know drive that uh, that feedback that's so critical to having an effective organization? Right. Well, I think as a leader, you have to, it has to be structural uh, as part of your DNA of how you operate. And if I had to pick one thing that organizations I've worked with that uh, they lack in is that feedback and being able to take the time to address their performance in a very uh, objective way. Right. Get the personalities out of it. But let's take a look at. And so after every flight. In, in the Navy, and certainly with the Blue Angels, we would have a, a debrief, and it was sacred. Everything else could wait until we dissected our performance and figured out what happened, why did it happen, uh, reinforcing the good, 
addressing what can we do better whenever our performance was lacking? And then what are we going to do differently tomorrow based on our performance today? Um, and, and, and that takes discipline because there's a million reasons uh, not to uh, have a debrief. Uh, but if you can make that a habit uh, and people and, and here's another thing you might be interested in is that the Blue Angel tradition is that when we sit down to debrief a flight, the leader starts first. And I would make a couple general comments about how I thought the uh, demonstration went. And then I would I would make a list. I would confess, if you will, uh, a list of the significant mistakes I made during the show. And um, this did a couple things for us. Number one, it, it uh, sent a message that mistakes are gonna happen. We, we're human, there are gonna be mistakes, but if we own up to them and accept responsibility for it, then we can learn and move on. Um, it also gave my wingman a good idea of to what degree did I, uh, understand my own performance, my own awareness, right? Because if if we're if I'm making a mistake and I don't know it, we got a problem that we have to work on. If I'm making a mistake and I won't admit it, we got another problem uh, that we need to address. So the leader sets the example and then we would go around the room and each member of the flight would go through a similar uh, confessional, if you will, uh, and then all the other officers that had other roles during the demonstration on the ground, in the control tower at the airport or wherever they were involved. And um, it was pretty cool. I mean, uh, you know you've got it when people admit to a mistake that nobody else would have known, but they share it because they want the team to benefit from it and everybody else to learn from their experience then you know you've got the culture that you want in terms of people being willing to be vulnerable uh, to share and, and, and accept feedback. Mm. What an what a absolutely brilliant litmus test there. And it sounds like it's uh, just to summarize what I'm hearing there, you're saying create this, this culture, this ritual of vulnerability and sharing this is what I did wrong. This is what I did that where I didn't meet the standard that I expect for myself and as the leader and expecting others then to follow to follow suit because you're creating that that trust, that trust environment, that safety to expose yourself. Right. And at uh, ACI Jet, where I work now, if we have an issue or a problem um, and we sit as a group to talk about it, then I as the leader will we'll share with how could I have contributed to whatever uh, the situation was, even if it was four or five, six layers removed from me, but in some way I have a responsibility for it. So what could I have done? And when I'm willing to share, here's what I think I could have done better, whether it was you know set the conditions, provided more training, uh, whatever it might be. And then as you go down the command, by the time you get to the poor guy who's on the front line who made the mistake, he, he is so much more willing to accept his role in all of that. And you as a team then um, can improve by everybody along the way understanding. Because we, 
you know, we succeed or fail as a team, right? It's just one person. Everybody contributes to that that success or that problem. So. Or the problem. So just from a mechanic standpoint, you're going around you're going around the circle you're starting off you're sharing this is what i could have done better this is what we did well uh, uh do you do you have everybody share like oh, you know here's what they could have done better here's what they could have done well and then do you loop everybody back through and say okay now you know point you know after you point the finger yourself now we're going to do a second loop and you get to point the finger at others or like how does that feedback provided for when people don't see it in themselves and it needs to be shared and maybe you as a leader don't see it, but somebody else in the group needs to say it about someone else. Yeah, that's a great question. So after we go around the table and everybody admits to here, here are the issues that I, um, mistakes that I made of, of significance, then we break the uh, demonstration down into maneuver by maneuver. I mean, literally, uh, we videotape everything and um from the moment that we come to attention and march down and climb into the jets until we end the, the show by climbing out of the jets, marching back and saluting the crowd, every bit is, is videotaped, uh, both uh, externally and videotapes from intern inside the cockpit. And so we will dissect everything out of that. And it's in those conversations where Maybe my right wingman, uh, Blue Angel number two, will say, well, you know, boss, uh, right here, you dropped your wing two or three degrees. You may not have realized it, but uh, we got pretty close there. And, uh, and, and so there'll be that very detailed uh, feedback. And so we go through all of that in, in great detail. And then at the end, uh, we go around and I ask everybody to make some general comments uh, of what they learned and so forth. And the Blue Angel tradition is, is that as we make these final comments, um, we end our remarks in, with the very same phrase. And, we, and, and to remind us that what a privilege it is to be part of such a great organization, um, no matter how bad a day we had, we all end our comments with the very same words and we say, Simply, I'm glad to be here. Um, in unison? It, well, no, each uh, individually as we oh, go I around. See. So, for example, so I might say, you know, um, I thought we had uh, overall a very solid uh, performance today, but, you know, tomorrow I need to work on the delta roll and I need to work on the loop break cross. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix uh, some of the issues we talked about today. I'm glad to be here. And then number two would do it, number three, number four, all around the room. And it's funny because initially I thought, boy, that sounds kind of corny, but it, it's the team's tradition, so I'm going to do it. And it's amazing just by saying those words, as well as hearing your teammates say it, uh, it, 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 it changes the dynamic. If you're, if you're really discouraged or you're feeling down, uh, just by saying those simple words. Uh, has an effect. It's great. Yeah, it reinforces the what you want to believe about those around you, which is they want to be here. They want to be vulnerable. They want to be here with you, creating as this team. They're not individuals. Yep. They want to be here. That's right. We're all in this together, and we're gonna we're gonna get better tomorrow uh, because we want to continue to raise the bar. Yep. Mm. 
And so as you transitioned into the uh, the commercial and the corporate sector, I'm curious just for those for people who might say, well, what's the what's the similarities between a a blue blue angels flying jets with a very specific job that you do, you know, every single day and the the reality of the chaos and the uh, the joy and all the ups and the downs and the dynamic world of the corporate world. What what are your thoughts on the similarities there? Yeah, I think it's very easy for somebody to hear, uh, be listening in on this thing and say to themselves, well, that's kind of interesting, but that doesn't really apply to me because I'm not in a life and death scenario and I'm not in the military uh, and so forth. And I believe that, you know, there, there, frankly, there are significant differences between the military and the business world. There's no question. But there really are a lot of similarities uh, that if people are open to it, I mean, we all are facing significant challenges. We all have to be adaptive and innovate and continue to improve every day. Uh, we're all under high pressure. We're, we all have to uh, get things done in a team setting with other people. And those, those things are all consistent, whether you're in the military or in the sports world or in business, whatever it might be. So I think there's, there's very uh, common lessons that you can learn. And for us, you know, uh, we absolutely had to build a, a very, very high level of trust, or at best, it was going to be mission failure, and at worst, it was going to be a fireball. But for the folks that are listening to this, I would ask them, you know, what would it mean if you had the ability to raise the level of trust on your team, even just 20%? Would that make a difference? And and what would that what would that do for you? And I dare say, you know, it would be it would be significant and profound. Um, and so, you know, we learned some principles and lessons with regard to how do you build trustworthiness uh, because we were in a very extreme environment where we just couldn't look away, we just couldn't compromise. We had to get to what what will it take for this to work. And I think if people will apply some of these principles, um, they're going to achieve the same sort of results in terms of. Uh, increased performance, resilience, productivity, and frankly, happiness. I mean, we all, trust is a very powerful feeling. And when you stop and think about the last time you were with somebody who you had a very high level of trust in, I mean, it's it's just a wonderful feeling and you're able to be yourself and the, the conversation and the laughter and all that goes with it uh, is all part of it. It's 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 a beautiful experience that not only can exist personally, uh, in relationships, friendships, uh, and of course in the the high, uh, high risk, high stress, little margin of error environment of the Blue Angels, but also in the corporate world. And you've transitioned all the the what you've learned there into the corporate world, uh, with these principles. Can you can you touch on what some of those principles are that you've learned and taken and have helped? dozens, if not more, companies learn? You bet. Well, and, you know, I when I got to the Blue Angels, um, and it was a two-year assignment for me, every day of those two years, I never forgot for a minute the tragedy that befell our 
Air Force brethren, their demonstration team, the Air Force Thunderbirds, where on January 18, 1982, they were doing a formation loop in training. And whenever you're flying that close together, you know, literally two feet apart, you're not looking around, enjoying the scenery. The wingmen are totally focused on this hot piece of metal that's two feet away from them that's moving. And so on this day, sadly, uh, the lead didn't pull out of this looping maneuver they were doing. And they put four T-38 fighters symmetrically spaced into the desert floor, killing all four pilots. For me to be successful as, the, as a Blue Angel flight leader, I had to figure out what do I have to do to earn a level of trust where these folks will come to work every day and literally put life in my hands. Um, and frankly, I wasn't smart enough to figure it all out ahead of time. But for two years, we had a really very successful two great uh, seasons. And as I look back on that experience, I found that there were five things I had to pay attention to in order to earn that level of unconditional trust. And you have the scars to prove it. <laughs> well, it, it, sometimes we had some setbacks, right? Yeah, sure. Uh, but as I look back on it, for each one of these five things I had to pay attention to, there was a question that my team was asking about me. And depending upon how they, what they discerned as an answer to the question, they would decide to what level they're going to trust me. I believe these are the same five questions that your listeners' teams are asking about them families. This, this applies at home as well as at work. And so quickly, the five uh, questions are the first one related to character. And the question my team was asking about me every day was, do you walk your talk? Do you live up to our shared values? Do you keep your promises and commitments and so forth? The second one related to commitment. Uh, they knew that I was going to show up with a smile on my face, ready to lead when the sun was shining and the sky was blue and the air was smooth. But what they cared about was, are you going to show up and bring your A game and be the best leader you can be when we have to take a punch, when we're in a storm? Because that's what life is. You're, you're either in a storm now or you just came out of a storm or you're getting ready to go into the next storm. And what they wanted to know was, the question they had was, are you going to be with us when the going gets tough and bring your A game and not just show up to take names, cast blame, point fingers? We want you to be the best leader you can be so that we can come out of this uh, with success. Well, real quick, you reinforce that at the end of every session, that debrief. It's so brilliant to reinforce that and say, all the bad stuff that just happened, it's good to be here. I'm glad. Absolutely. I, I love Absolutely. that. It's like reinforcing that reminder every single time of that commitment. Okay, what's the third one? The third, third one is, and this is what people think of the most when they're making a trust decision, whether they're hiring somebody or promoting or assigning to uh, an important team, and that's competence. And obviously, competence is critically important. No question. We hired you had to be a really good pilot to get hired with the Blue Angels. But if it came down to two candidates 
and they were very close, um, we would sacrifice a, a percentage of competence if necessary in order to be absolutely sure that we got the first two, the character and the commitment. Because if you don't get the character and the commitment, then you know the third doesn't matter, right? But if you can get somebody who walks their talk and they are all in and they're reasonably skilled, you can pretty well teach them what they need to know in order to be uh, successful. But so the question every day was, as I'd sit down at the table for our pre-flight briefing before we'd go fly, I could look around the room and I could see the third question in their eyes regarding competence. And the question was, are you good enough to be our leader today? Are you better than you were yesterday, but not as good as you're going to be tomorrow? Because we don't want to stay here. We want to keep getting better and better and better. And you, as a leader, have to keep getting better and better and better. So the pressure was on me in order to continue to improve, just like my wingmen all had pressure on them uh, to continue to improve. Uh, but I realized very quickly that, and all leaders should realize this, of high-performance teams, is that I could have a good day and my team might have an average day, but my team would never have a great day if I, as the leader, didn't have a great day. And so I held myself to a standard and a way of managing myself in order to make sure that every day that I showed up, I was ready to go firing on all cylinders, uh, bringing my A game. The fourth one is uh, interesting because if commitment is about winning their minds, the next one is about winning their hearts because trust can't be bought it can't be expected, it can't be demanded, it can't be coerced. It's a gift, and you have to earn that gift every single day. And by the middle of our air show season, our team became so connected that I could literally change the trajectory of a maneuver at three, 400 miles an hour in order to stay under the clouds or to tighten a turn around a skyscraper or whatever just by changing the inflection of my voice on the radios. Not, not what I said, but how I said the words. They knew something was different here. Uh, and they would stay in tight formation with me when I needed them to do something different because they knew that I understood what I was asking them to do, right? But if for a minute they didn't think I understood what I was asking them to do, that I didn't get them or understand what their challenges and responsibilities were, then you would have, you know, a little bit of separation engagement, right? So the question I had to ask myself every day was, do they believe I understand them? Do they believe I understand them? Which is a different question than do I believe I understand them? Because yeah. what I believe is interesting but not sufficient. What matters is what do they believe? And when they believe you get them, that you understand their story and where they've come from and what their hopes and concerns and challenges and ideas are, then they will join up and fly tight formation anywhere. Uh, so that was number four. And then the final one we touched on 
is communication, which is the what I say is the oil of the high trust engine. <laughs> and if if connection is about do I believe uh, do they believe I understand them? Communication is do they understand me? Am I transmitting in a way that is clear, concise, and direct? that can cut through all the distractions and all the stuff out there so that they understand what I'm trying to communicate. And for leaders, unfortunately, the biggest challenge with communication is the presumption that occurred. I mean, the leader says, look, I sent the email, they get it. I had the, I had the difficult conversation, she gets it. I, I uh, spoke to the group, they get it don't get it but not uh, certainly not initially right because they're not as close to it as you are i mean i like to say how many times do you have to hear the lyrics of a new song before you <laughs> know the so words you get it. right exactly so we as a as leaders we have to be able to transmit the message consistently in a variety of ways in repetitively until it finally sinks in. And so we had uh, specific protocols in aviation in order to avoid misunderstandings. And those same ideas apply on the ground as well. Um, whenever you transmit, you then need to have a way to verify that the message that you intended was the one that was received by uh, the listener. And too often we as leaders are moving so fast that we don't take time to ask. So what did you just hear? <laughs> Are <laughs> we, we on the same surprised. page? That's right. That's right. Right. It's, it's, it's always surprises me when I ask that and you, you, hearing what, it, you know, the response and it's, you know, there's always like, wait, that's what you heard. Like, that's not at all what I just said. <laughs> uh, that's exactly right. So uh, as, as everyone is uh, who's listening are leaders in their own homes with their own families and, in their own uh, professional organizations. I'm, I'm curious, just as we look at trust and as we round out this discussion today, what is the, the one of the, the, the kind of the opposite of trust is fear, right? And it's always surprises me that one of the safest forms of travel also has the most fear, where people that has one of the top 10 lists of fears is flying, of heights, of uh, of falling, right? Those are all in the top ten list of uh, human fears. What do you think it is that makes people fearful, and what can what should people know about flying to open up the aviation industry and the beauty of it to even more people? Right. Well, as you described, you know, as humans, uh, we tend to gravitate towards the um, the cataclysmic, if you will, right? Statistically it's much more dangerous to be on the highways than it is to fly uh, in a commercial airliner and, or even in a private, uh, private plane. Um, and so I think uh, overcoming fear, you just need to the level, uh, develop a level of understanding. You know, we typically fear what we don't understand. Uh, and I think if people understood the rigorous uh, requirements that the FAA demands in, in uh, designing and building airplanes, uh, as well as the oversight 
and the rigorous inspections and so forth that have to be done on a regular basis in order for an airplane to be what they call in, in an airworthy status. And if you, if you had some idea of the level of training and recurrent training that pilots have to go through in order to handle uh, difficult circumstances, I think they would have a, a tremendous confidence in uh, climbing into a, a metal tube and going 500 miles an hour at uh, six miles up in the sky. Well, it's it's quite fascinating when you think about it because it's to me then it, what that really symbolizes is that giving up of control. Right? We we have this ego and the self confidence in ourselves and in our machines that we're controlling on the road, and yet. The, the pilots in the air, the aircraft they're flying, the machines they're flying are statistically so much safer, so much more better trained, so much more prepared for disaster than most anyone on the roads. Exactly. And the engineering has, has dramatically improved over the years. The, the reliability of the equipment and the redundancy that is built into, into the design so that one failure isn't cause, uh, you know, a mishap that uh, again, that all uh, bundled together should give people a high level of confidence. Well, I absolutely love just and how that relates so much to what we've shared today and going from the Blue Angel flights to hopping on a commercial airliner and driving in your car. What In our final moments together, what do you want to ensure everyone hears about the importance of trust and what we can do to create a better, more trusting world? Well, I, I think... Um, I, I tell people that, you know, we weren't perfect at this. Um, we had to build it every day. We took time. Um, we started out flying, you know, far apart and high. And as we built trust and confidence, we would tighten the formations and we would lower to the ground and we would do uh, more demanding, more dynamic uh, maneuvering. Um, and I, I tell the story that... Um, you know, two of our pilots at one point became more focused on their individual personal differences than our collective mission. And we had to sit them down and have a little bit of an intervention, if you will, uh, in order to get them to both understand that mission was more important than their own individual self-interest. And once once they uh, regained that perspective, um, then they were able to operate safely uh, in a very intense environment together. And at the end of the day, you know, typically when you trust somebody, uh, a byproduct of that is that you really like them a lot. Uh, uh, but but it's not necessary. You know, these two guys, uh, personally, they're very different. So they would never go out and sort of socialize together. But every day they showed us that you can have a really powerful, trusting, professional relationship, even though you have uh, personal differences. And I think we need to figure that out somehow in, in all our communities uh, across this country, because um, I, in my lifetime, I've never seen such lower levels of trust uh, in all dimensions of life. Uh, and we have to start thinking about the greater good and the things that we have in common, rather than being you know, totally focused on what our, our differences are. Um, and, um, you know, we were fortunate. Uh, people may be surprised to hear that in the 
two years I was with the Blue Angels, uh, we never would have said that we were the pilots in the world because they're extraordinary aviators flying off of ships and expeditionary airfields around the world uh, day and night. Um, but we would have looked you right in the eye and we would have said with absolute conviction that for two years, we were the best team of pilots, bar none. And that's because we were part of an organization of common people with an uncommon devotion to this core value of trust and building uh, trustworthiness. And so, you know, that was the, the key to our success. And I challenge uh, the people that are listening here to, you know, to seek to proactively build trust in the relationships that they have. And, uh, and they're going to find that there's going to be tremendous benefit and success there. And truly doing the impossible. If you would have asked me before this discussion, is it possible to fly hundreds and hundreds of flights a few feet apart from someone else at hundreds of miles per hour, you know, doing all these stunts and say, no, it's impossible, but you've proven and, uh, and what is built into the Blue Angels at its core is proven out that trust and that strong team uh, is what allows you to do what is nearly impossible and push the bounds of that. Well, in our, uh, in just some of the things that I've heard from this discussion uh, today, just to uh, wrap things up here, this has been so, there's so many key points. One of which is a lot of what you've learned about trust has come from the the make or break it, the life and death environment of your work in the military, uh, especially with the Blue Angels, where that high stress, high stakes environment was so critical. But how much that can be taken those experiences you've, you've learned can be taken into the corporate world. And how trust is really just simply someone's willingness to be vulnerable. And that's measured on a continuum, that there is this wide variety of trust that can uh, be a part of a team, and you can have 20% more of a trusting team, and that our actions are much more impactful than our words. Uh, and aligning those words and those actions to create that trust, that trust is really creates that psychological safety, that resilience, that ability to feel like you can be yourself and show up honestly. But in order to show up honestly, you have to be first be honest with yourself. And by knowing yourself and being vulnerable with yourself, you can get move past that ego, open yourself up to feedback and create a trusting team. And some of these, the five points that I heard uh, that you share, the five C's, as you put them, that really create that trustworthiness that creates the trust, that creates the high executing team uh, is one character, two commitment, three competence, four connection, and five communication. And the examples you gave were just so brilliantly illustrating how each of those five pieces all come together and how you can't have one without, you can't miss one in there that when you have those five key ingredients, you create a trusting, high-performing team that leads to results that exceed anyone's imagination and that exceed what any individual person could do. And it's just so, so informative. Well, and I would share with uh, the listeners that you don't have to be perfect at this. Uh, the people that are in your life, on your teams, at home, and so forth, they'll give you credit for just trying to do better at each one of those uh, five C's. And as you work on one, 
it reinforces the other four. They're all very interrelated. Um, and then finally, I would say that uh, the neat thing about this is, is that no matter how good a team you're on now, no matter how great a relationship you have at work or at home, it can get even better if you continue to deepen levels of trust. It's just, uh, it's just remarkable. It's that continuum, that never-ending continuum where you build that psychological safety, that realness and honesty and authenticity, vulnerability together. All such beautiful words. Well, to everyone out there listening, we so much uh, enjoy the fact that you're tuning in. I would love to hear what your takeaways from this episode are. Comment them, tweet them. We'd love to hear them. We'd love to share them on our next show. Uh, and just, uh, George, if I can ask you, I know you've done a, uh, a TEDx. It's posted on YouTube. People can tune into that. What are some other ways that people can hear your perspective and get connected with you, um, whether it's through you as a, I know you do some consulting and helping people to build these high trust teams. Uh, what's the way that they can best get in contact with you? Well, the uh, easiest is to uh, go to my website, uh, www.georgedom.com. Uh, and there's more uh, content and material there. I would also challenge the listeners because I'd like this to be more than just a one and done. I'd like to actually help uh, make an impact. And so I challenge the listeners uh, if they want to learn more and to take a 90-day journey, if you will, to build a higher level of trust in all the important relationships they have. If they would text the word high trust, one word, high trust, to 22828, one more time, 22828, uh, I will send you an email once a week for the next three months, for 90 days, that takes all this into greater detail, provides you with some ideas on how to um, apply it and train uh, and hopefully have an impact. And of course, I'm not selling anything. It's all free. Just want to help. I absolutely love that. Well, thank you so much for making that available to our listeners and to everyone tuning in. Thank you so much for joining us uh, today, George. My pleasure. Thank you, Luke. Absolutely. And thank you for everyone tuning in. I hope you can join us next time on The Trust Revolution. Trust Revolution.